Hey everybody, welcome to part one of a brand new sermon series, uh, which we've entitled NUMA. More about that in just a moment. First, I just want to say a big hello to every single one of you who are watching. So grateful to have you tuning in with us today. My name is Jake and my beautiful wife, Nicole, and I have the great privilege of leading C3 Los Angeles, wonderful church right here uh, in the LA area. And uh, so looking forward to when we can come back together physically as a community. Uh, Online church is amazing. I love this opportunity. It's so powerful. It expands our reach and I'm so grateful for it. But also getting together uh, in one room is the most powerful thing, uh, the most wonderful experience. So looking forward to that day. But for now, so grateful to be coming around the word of God uh, with every single one of you as we kick off this new series, NUMA, a series all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to begin today in a little bit of a uh, almost random seeming passage in the book of Numbers. Numbers is towards the beginning of your Old Testament. And we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, uh, which says this. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same spirit upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad, which are two fantastic Old Testament names. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous or jealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Let's read. One more passage of scripture over in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter two, beginning in verse one says, when the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. I want to speak to you today as we begin this brand new series from the subject, The Resting Place of God. And uh, I'm going to do something as we begin this message that I almost never do, and that's telling us the whole point of the message right at the top, right at the start. And that point is that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal power, but the personal presence of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I feel confident in letting you know that up front and still retaining your attention for the remainder of the message because the Holy Spirit is someone about whom we have so many questions. And I'm going to do my best to answer as many of those questions as possible throughout this seven-week series, not just so you would have more knowledge, but so that you would be more passionate and more equipped for pursuing a life that is anointed by the presence of God. This series is going to conclude on May 31st, which is the day of Pentecost uh, in the Jewish calendar. And for almost the last 2,000 years, the day of Pentecost in the Christian calendar as well. As we read a moment ago in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit fell upon that small group of believers in the resurrected Jesus 
and the church officially began. Now, let me give us a little bit of context about Pentecost because it's very significant for the purposes of today's message. Pentecost comes from a Greek word that means 50th. And the festival was called that because it occurred 50 days after the festival of Passover. And those two festivals are linked because Passover celebrates the ancient Israelites being brought out of Egyptian slavery and Pentecost celebrates their arrival at Mount Sinai where they received the Torah or the law. So Passover, Moses is bringing Israel out of slavery and Pentecost, Moses is ascending Mount Sinai and then bringing the law down to the Israelite people. That's what Pentecost has always meant until it took on its new covenant significance in Acts chapter two. Because on that particular day of Pentecost, when all of Jerusalem was celebrating Moses's ascension up Mount Sinai and bringing down the law, Jesus had now ascended back into heaven and was now pouring out his Holy Spirit. Jesus was sending his Holy Spirit upon his brand new church so that they would be equipped to continue the mission of the Father that he had began and kickstarted for the prior three years. The church had received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they could, they could bring to the world around them what the law could never and was never meant to bring to the world, and that was life. You see, the purpose of the law was to reveal and point out our guilt. The purpose of the law was to show us how far short of God's glory we had all fallen. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit was to overcome our falling short and to make us come alive. And the New Testament declares that truth over and over again. It's what the New Testament is all about. One example of that would be in what the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters called 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 3 and verse 6 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said that God also made us ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we see that the letter or the law, it reveals our spiritual depravity, the spiritual death that we were born into. But the spirit, it makes us reborn into the life of Jesus, which is resurrection life. In other words, it's life that has no end, life that cannot be defeated. The Holy Spirit of God makes you and I reborn into that life. And we're gonna talk a whole lot for throughout, throughout this series about what it means to be born by the Spirit of God. But before we can do that, we first have to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit himself. Before we can discuss being spirit people or a spirit church, we have to learn about the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's why volume one of this series is called Numa Person, because it's all about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's this word that I keep say saying, Numa, P-N-E-U-M-A? Pneuma is the Greek word used throughout the New Testament where we get our English word spirit. And it mirrors the same meaning as the Hebrew word used for spirit in the Old Testament. And both of them denote a picture of air in motion. That's why in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, a picture that we have of the Holy Spirit is breath or, or wind. And we see that as early as the very first book of the Bible in the very first chapter and the second verse. Genesis chapter one and verse two is talking about the earth before God began to create. And it says that the earth was without form and it was void. 
and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering or moving over the face of the waters. So right there from the start, we see that the Spirit of God is being likened to a wind that is moving gently across the surface of the unformed earth. And the Holy Spirit, in partnership with God the Father and God the Son, was at work in creation. And that's a really important thing for you and I to note because that's a motif that we're going to see carry all throughout the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit is the one we see show up whenever God goes to work. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is God getting stuff done. It's God moving his plan forward. And through all of that working and getting stuff done, um, it seems to us like the Holy Spirit is a little bit of an impersonal force or power. Even the language of the Old Testament kind of leads us to that understanding, referring to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of the Lord, which feels a little bit distant, or as the literal breath of God or the hand of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the power that comes upon certain people to get certain things done, like the prophet Elijah when he outran the horse and chariot of Ahab, or like Moses, the Holy Spirit was the wind at work as he lifted up his staff to part the Red Sea. All throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see God doing all of these amazing things by using all of these ordinary people, and it seems like a lot of it is like an extension of God, like it was external to him. The Old Testament people knew that it was God. They just didn't yet have the full revelation that the Holy Spirit was actually God wanting to dwell with and be personal with his precious creation, his people. Maybe you've had some experiences with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you felt God at certain points in your life. Maybe you can look back at your own story and, and see, wow, somebody had to be involved in order for this challenging circumstance or this difficult situation to work out better than it should have. And I'm here to tell you that the God who helps you, the God who has helped you and still helps you today, he doesn't do so just by sending out some impersonal power, some arbitrary force. No, it's himself showing up to you because God is so ready to dwell with you, to be personally in you and with you, guiding your life, leading you, empowering you for what he's called you to do. That's the story that the scriptures tell from cover to cover. In fact, if we fast forward to the time in between the conclusion of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, a time period that was about 400 years we see that the Holy Spirit was thought of in the Jewish mind uh, as the spirit of prophecy. In other words, he was the power at work whenever somebody was speaking as the mouthpiece of God. However, during that 400-year period, nobody in Israel was prophesying. And so the belief of all the Jewish people, from the most common person to the most trained teacher, the belief was that the only way humanity could encounter the spirit of God was by reading what the Spirit had already inspired, which is the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. And that might sound kind of simple and kind of nice. Want to encounter God? Just read the law and the prophets. The problem was, though, is that, is that that introduced an undeniable, inescapable tension. And that tension is that the law tells us that we are as good as dead. We're spiritually dead. The prophets, well, they tell us that God wants 
nothing more than to make humanity completely once and for all alive. So when you read the Old Testament in your heart of hearts, you know that you are stuck in a holding pattern, being told that you're spiritually dead, but being told that God wants you alive, a holding pattern that the Spirit of God reveals to you and a holding pattern that only the Spirit of God can break you out of. The way that God broke humanity out of that holding pattern was by coming to us, not as some impersonal power to get random tasks done, but as the personal presence of Jesus who made us reborn and redeemed us back into the image of God and into his infinitely good purposes for our lives. Jesus, the man, was the spirit of God with skin and bone who through his death and resurrection cleansed us of our sin and made us into vessels worthy of the spirit of God to rest in and upon. The writers of the New Testament, they understood this and that's why they didn't refer to the spirit of of God as the spirit of the Lord or as the breath of God. He was the Holy Spirit. In other words, the spirit who shared the same holy fabric and substance as God himself, even calling him the spirit of Jesus. Because as personally as they knew Jesus when he walked the earth, so also they knew him still as he dwelt within them in spiritual form and in you and I today. Moses, hundreds and hundreds of years before the Holy Spirit fell upon the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he foresaw this personal nature of God's spirit. That's why when uh, the report came to him and and his assistant Joshua that there were two men in the camp who were prophesying Joshua turned to Moses and said, Moses, stop them. These weren't the leaders of Israel. They weren't the people that God was using to move his plan forward. Therefore, the spirit of the Lord couldn't come upon them, right? Wrong. Moses said, oh, that all the Lord's people would be prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses foresaw that God's desire was to rest upon anybody who would turn to him. David was another person in the Old Testament who saw this reality in Psalm chapter 51, which is a prayer that David wrote after having committed adultery with Bathsheba. He said in Psalm 51 and verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David was one of two people in the entire Old Testament that referred to uh, the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit. And he understood that the Holy Spirit is the personal presence. Don't cast me away from your presence. He knew that the presence of God and the Holy Spirit were equivalent with one another. And maybe like these people in the Old Testament, you've had your own experiences with the Holy Spirit. You've felt God at certain portions in your life. And maybe you've been craving to experience again what you've experienced before. Maybe you've never had any encounter or experience with the Holy Spirit to your knowledge. I want to tell you today that it doesn't matter. Either way, you are You are God's desired resting place. Since the moment he was hovering over the unformed creation, God has been desiring to have a people upon whom he can rest and within whom he can abide. The prophet Jeremiah of the Old Testament recognized this as well. He prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. He said, No longer shall every man teach his neighbor and every man teach his brother saying, you shall know the Lord, for they all shall know me, says the Lord, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. 
In other words, Jeremiah saw a day when God would wash the stain of humanity's sin away completely. And in doing that, he would make them a holy habitation for the Spirit of God to rest and remain upon. For all people, from the least to the greatest, from the poor to the wealthy, from the most obviously broken life to the seemingly ordinary life, the Holy Spirit is God's gift for everybody. And that's why Peter, on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, just moments after receiving the Holy Spirit himself, stood up and he addressed the crowd that had gathered around the home where he and the disciples were. And he quoted from the prophet Joel, another Old Testament prophet. And he declared to the people, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. When that day comes, I will pour out my spirit upon all who serve me, men and women also. Peter was declaring to all those who were listening that that day had arrived, that no longer could the Holy Spirit be seen as an impersonal force who gets upon special people for special tasks, but rather the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus who comes upon every person who turns to him, that they all would pick up the most special of tasks to carry the Father's mission forward of redeeming a lost and broken world. May you find as you turn to him today that the Holy Spirit rest and remain upon you. How does that work? What does that look like? What's our role in this relationship with the personal presence of God called the Holy Spirit? These are the questions that we're going to keep diving into throughout this series. But there's one thing that I know for sure is that it does begin with you and I seeking the Lord. The Bible says if we seek him, he will be found by us. And just because you become a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you're always living with an awareness that God is wanting to commune with you and have relationship with you. I want to give you an opportunity just right here and now as we're congregating together through church online, just to turn your heart towards God. Invite the Holy Spirit to have this kind of relationship with you that the scriptures declare to us and that I'm describing to you today. If you are convinced that the Spirit of God desires this relationship with you and you want that relationship with Him, why don't you just right now where you are, just type the word rest right into the chat. Just make a public declaration of your desire for the Holy Spirit to rest and remain upon you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and remained on Him. He lived in unbroken relationship with the Holy Spirit and that's that's the will of God the Father for you and I as well. That's what Jesus wants for you and I. He set the model for you and I to walk in, to experience ourselves. So proud, every one of you guys, making that declaration right now, declaring that you want the Holy Spirit to rest and remain upon you. Others of you who are watching, there's something else that, that you need to do. In order to ever have relationship with God, we have to experience what Jeremiah talked about in that prophecy. Or he said, I see a day when all the iniquity and all the sin of mankind is going to be put away forever. God said, I will remember their sin no more. You and I received that promise simply by coming to Jesus and identifying our lives with Him. He came to us to identify with us. And now we respond by identifying with Him. What's that mean? It means that we're no longer trying to conjure up our own good works as our own form of righteousness, our own form of being qualified, being a good person. Instead, we recognize that no matter how good we can be, 
It's never going to be the perfect standard that is God. Jesus is that perfect standard. He came to live the life we couldn't live. He died the death that sin demands that we die. But Jesus, in overcoming that death and his resurrection, now makes it possible for you and I to not go to death, but to go through death, the scriptures teach us, so that in his resurrection, we could have eternal life. That's available for every single one of you who are watching this. I want to invite you so strongly right now. I just feel so important for you to respond in this moment to the love of God that's reaching out to you. You need to come to Christ. Give your life to him. It's a relationship that I'm inviting you into. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But as I do that, if you know that you need to respond, then I want you to click that button that's appearing on your screen that says, I raise my hand. If we were all together right now in a room, I'd say, hey, lift your hand if you want to respond to the love of God. You can do that right where you are. Nothing can stop you from making the best decision of your entire life. Why don't you click that button right now? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every single person who's responding to your love in this moment. I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that's going to dwell within them and upon them as they walk in step with Christ and as they are forgiven of all their sin, all of their wrongdoing, past, present, future, taken care of in a moment of declaration, a moment of belief in the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're making that decision right now, I want you to pray this next part with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. I am forgiven. I'm a new creation. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you the Lord of my life. Just why, why don't you right, right now just begin to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Just right there as you're praying, just say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I know that God wants to do that, do a brand new work on the inside of you. Thank you, Lord. You're blessing every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. I'm so excited about this series, series all about the Holy Spirit. These upcoming weeks, they hold so much treasure for us as we uh, unveil God's desire to dwell with you and I through his personal presence, his Holy Spirit. I want to invite you just to be keeping up with us all throughout the week on Instagram, our website. Just make sure you don't miss a thing. We've got so much going on in this season. We're not sitting back and waiting for this moment to pass. We're leaning into all that God is doing in our church in this moment. I want to invite you to be a part of that. And also we'll see you right back here next Sunday for Church Online. God bless you guys.